1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here's your top five at five. One down, six to go as the year end Santa Claus rally sees its best start in more than 20 years. This, as the CDC updates its quarantine guidance for those who test positive for COVID-19, but will it be enough to ease the nationwide staffing shortages? As Omicron cases surge, one major retailer in New York City is forced to close its doors in-store with no reopening date in sight. We'll get to that story. Holiday travel headaches going strong this morning as airlines rack up hundreds more canceled flights. And one Chinese tech giant joining the likes of Nike, Coinbase, and more with a big bet on the metaverse. It is Tuesday, December 28, 2021. You're watching CBC's Worldwide Exchange. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour, kicking off your Tuesday morning with a look at U.S. stock futures. After stocks hit a record high yesterday, the Dow was up 91 points, Nasdaq higher by 77 and the S&P 500 also trading in positive territory. This again after a very strong start to the final week of trade for 2021 with the Dow gaining some 350 points or roughly 1% in yesterday's trade. The S&P surging 1.4% to its 69th record close of the year. The index is now just is now up 4 days in a row for the first time since it's 8 day winning streak back in early November. Year to date the S&P is up 27.5%. If it ends up more than 28.8%, that would mark its best annual performance since 2013. Now, not to be outdone by the Nasdaq also coming off a big day closing up more than 1.3% for its fourth positive day in a row. It's longest winning streak since early November when it rallied 11 sessions straight. The Nasdaq, just over 2% below its all-time high. Sector-specific, let's talk real estate, tech, healthcare, all trading in record-high territory, big years too. And outside of stocks, we should take a look at Treasuries. Had a tough time getting about 1.5% for the 10-year. And same story exists today at 1.47%. Let's take a look at oil, of course, just days away from capping off its best year since 2009. And we're trading in the green at $76 uh, for WTI crude ice Brent at 79 Cryptocurrencies has Cryptocurrencies have been rather volatile in recent weeks. We're lower today. Bitcoin down just about 4%. So back below that $50,000 mark. Around the world we go. Mostly green arrows overnight in Asia. You can see India, Thailand, China, South Korea all trading in positive territory. Europe just getting started. Markets in the UK close for the observance of Boxing Day. And it's green across the screen, about a eight-tenths of 1% for Italy. As the country reports upwards of 200,000 new COVID cases, uh, the CDC late yesterday making a major adjustment in the amount of time a person infected with the virus must quarantine. Silvana is here with the details. Silvana, good morning.
3: Hey, Seema, good morning. That's right. So the CDC now says those who tested positive but are asymptomatic or no longer showing symptoms can shorten their isolation period from 10 to 5 days followed by five days of wearing a mask around others. The change comes as scientists prove that most coronavirus transmissions happen one to two days prior to symptoms and two to three days after. The surge in COVID cases, combined with some wicked winter weather out west, dealing yet another blow to air travel. After canceling more than 1,500 flights, into, out of, or within the U.S. Sunday, and another 1,400 yesterday. Airlines have already canceled more than 600 flights this morning, with that number rising by the hour. And with case counts especially high in the Northeast, Apple is closing its 11 retail stores in New York City for an undetermined amount of time. The move, which impacts stores in Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, and Staten Island, does not amount to a total shutdown. However, as customers can still visit them to pick up online
2: orders. Sema, the staffing shortage is real. Sylvana, no, thank yeah. you for joining us. You Silvana got it now. And back to the markets, the Santa Claus rally getting off to a great start. The S and P five hundred rising about one point four percent yesterday. That is the best first day of the Santa Claus rally since. 2000. According to the Stock Traders' Almanac, it's just the third time in the past 40 years the S&P has gained more than 1% to kick off this period. Let's talk more about the markets and what could lie ahead in the new year with Malcolm Elthridge, Executive VP at CIC Wealth. And Malcolm, good morning to you. Morning, Seema. Uh, The market's performance in recent days would suggest investors are less concerned about rising COVID cases, the impact of Omicron on hospitals and the staffing shortages that we are seeing exist specifically in the airline industry. Tell us why. Why is the market looking past these challenges?
4: Well, I think it might have a little more to do with what you just uh, ran through, which is the Santa Claus rally, right? So the santa claus rally we could expect it to be a little more on steroids than it normally would be because we'd be spending that money to fly and travel and visit uh, relatives and those sorts of things and for the folks who said no i'm just gonna sit this one out and you know let omicron have it so to speak right uh you feel a little bit of guilt of not being there in person and so it allows you to have a little bit more to spend in those retailers than you would have spent uh, on travel and, and going to be with folks in, in, in person. And so we may be seeing a little of that play out uh, in these numbers uh, over the rest of, of this week you know, to close out the year.
2: So from what I'm hearing from you, Malcolm, you're expecting this to be a positive week for the stock market, as we saw yesterday, and futures also indicating a higher open this morning. If that's the case, specific trades, stocks you want to buy or you should get into before and to sort of capture those gains?
4: Well, I, I don't know necessarily that any one stock is go- is going to do it, but I definitely expect the retail sector uh, to do really well, especially those who have a solid uh, online uh, uh, an online fulfillment uh, platform. So obviously, in Amazon, but another one to keep an eye on is maybe a Best Buy, which doesn't necessarily get the respect that it deserves, trading at just I don't know 12 times uh, forward earnings at this point. Um, but Best Buy has done a lot in the last couple of years uh, to address uh, the COVID situation and and reformatting some of their stores to be able to help with curbside pickup and all those things and we know that best buy is a great consumer electronics play uh to allow people to pick up those drones and uh gaming cameras and consoles and everything else for the uh, for the little ones in their in their life. And so I think that's probably a really good way to play that space to, to take advantage of this uh, Santa Claus rally.
2: Although Best Buy has underperformed the market so far this year. You know, Malcolm, an article that stood out to me this morning from the Financial Times looks at just the amount of record cash and capital major corporations have raised this year via debt, stock, loans, about $12 trillion. Do you think this type of market dynamic changes in 2022 as the Fed eyes three interest rate hikes.
4: I do. And I also know for a fact that CFOs are usually pretty pragmatic people. So if we see CFOs of of major corporations saying we better get while the getting is good and we better uh, raise as much cash as we possibly can, uh, as quickly as we possibly can, because we don't know how long this party is going to last, that should be a signal to the general you know, buying public, the, the general retail trader, that uh, these corporations don't necessarily expect the Fed to be their friend the same way it has for the last couple of years at least, right? So where it's very cheap to borrow uh, still, even right now, because we haven't had any raises yet, even though they've been announced and, and telegraphed, I think that's a very clear Uh, canary in the coal mine situation if I'm a a retail trader looking for uh, any indication of what 2022 is going to look like.
2: Notes here I have from the producer Malcolm suggests you are interested in one specific name which is GoDaddy. Tell us why.
4: So GoDaddy we actually were interested in before the the recent activist uh, uh, interest in in buying up shares in the last week or so um, simply because the trend that we're seeing to self-employment for millions of Americans over the last couple of years, folks leaving their jobs and striking out on their own. Uh, GoDaddy is actually the, the uh, number one dominant name brand player in the domain registration space. And so as those newly minted, you know, small, small mom and pop type businesses look for web hosting services and all those other things that they'll need, as they continue to grow, uh, so will GoDaddy's market share of these uh, newly mm-hmm. newly created Companies that are needing a place to, to host their site and you know show off what they have. And so we expect that to be a really great play for 2022.
2: That's an interesting thesis. And we're looking at GoDaddy shares up about 24% in the last four weeks, uh, a stock we will keep an eye on. Malcolm, great to see you this morning. Have a great day. Malcolm Eldridge. When we come back on Worldwide Exchange, much more on the updated isolation guidance on the CDC, including pushback from some healthcare workers. We speak with one doctor on the front lines. Plus, let's get Meta, the Google of China making a big play into territory already explored by the likes of Nike. And later, a CNBC exclusive with CalSTRS CIO Christopher Ailment. He runs the world's largest educator-only pension fund and is worried about much more than Omicron. A very busy hour is still ahead when we return.
3: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: There's a look at futures on this Tuesday morning. We are high by 100 points on the Dow Jones Industrial. NASDAQ suggesting a higher open as well, up 90 points after a record day on Wall Street. NASDAQ 100 gainers. Here in pre-market action, led by Nvidia up 1.5%, Marvell, Advanced Micro, and Tesla at $1,100 a share. To the metaverse in 2021, that became the hot word for companies from Facebook and Nike to Ferrari. And just this week, Chinese tech giant Baidu says it will wade into the metaverse, launching a virtual reality app that will allow up to 100,000 users to interact in the virtual space. Joining us now is tech futurist Kathy Hackle, CEO and Chief Metaverse Officer at the Futures Intelligence Group. Kathy, a pleasure to have you on this morning.
7: Happy to be here.
2: It was just a couple of weeks ago, actually a month ago, when Facebook rebranded the company to Meta. And it's hard to understate the, the powerful effect, right, that really had on this industry. It, I think it pushed more people to really take a serious look uh, at this market. I'm curious, since then, major developments from your perspective. And what are your thoughts about a big Chinese tech company also getting in on the action?
7: Yeah, so what we've seen after the rebranding is, you know, millions more people introduced the term metaverse a lot faster than we had envisioned. So that's been, you know, from an awareness perspective, there's more people asking questions, what is the metaverse? Or, you know, if you're a brand, they ask, how can I be involved in the metaverse? So have seen more brands like Nike, Forever 21, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, jumping into, uh, you know, metaverse platforms like Roblox and opening their own worlds? And definitely with Baidu, um, you know, starting, you know, launching that virtual world during their developers conference, uh, that is a big signal, right, that the metaverse is not necessarily a a fad or a hype, uh, that, you know, companies, large companies uh, are embracing uh, the term and embracing what the future of the Internet could look like.
2: Uh, Meta, Facebook's parent company, had the most popular app over Christmas. That is the Oculus VR app, suggesting a lot of American households uh, bought the Oculus. It was underneath the tree. What are your thoughts about more Americans using the Oculus at a time where the metaverse is still, there's a lot of investment, but the applications, the different things you can do in the metaverse is still limited.
7: So I've been working in metaverse-related companies for the past eight years. So that is like the, the type of thing we dreamed of was what happened this Christmas. <laughs> um, but, you know, the reality is that a lot of people got their Oculus, they put it on, they played with it. Uh, you know, some people can only be in there for 15, you know, minutes or so. Like I, I do a lot of VR and I spend about 45 minutes max. So it's not something that you're going to wear all day. Um, what I tell most of the, most of the brands that I work with is, VR is an entry point to the metaverse so it's not the only technology uh, it's only a way in it's not the only way in
2: it's not the only way in yet Oculus and I'm curious w- what you would say differentiates Oculus from some of the other virtual reality hardware that we've seen hit the market in in the past couple of years whether it's Google Glass that was a while ago uh, Snapchats goggles uh, those did not really take off so can Oculus um, see, uh, have a different trajectory?
7: So, yeah, I mean, from, from a product perspective, it's definitely lighter than a lot of the other, you know, VR headsets out there. It's got, you know, you're, you're starting to get a lot better content. So I know people, a lot of people for the New Year's are going to start using it for working out, right? So I definitely see that a lot of people might have gotten it for, you know, for gaming, but also for working out. Uh, I think the difference is that this is virtual reality, right? It cuts off the, the real world, uh, and some of the other devices are augmented reality. I think solving for putting a supercomputer that you can see through, like glasses, is going to be a lot harder. Uh, that's why I'm really excited to see, you know, what happens in 2022 with, for example, Apple uh, coming to market with potentially some type of, uh, you know, augmented reality glasses, uh, or even Niantic. Mm. So you talked
2: about some of the opportunities. What's the biggest risk facing the metaverse industry, whether it's pricing, competition, the the perhaps eventual regulation that this industry will have to face?
7: I think think it's a lot of uncertainty, right? We're still facing a lot of uncertainty. No one really knows where things are heading. I always talk about the fact that we're kind of on a high-speed train destination metaverse, but we don't really know the stops or where it's really going. Um, So I think there's a lot of uncertainty. There could be regulation. Uh, along the way. I do imagine in Capitol Hill, um, maybe when some of the tech CEOs get interviewed in the next year, that there will be questions about the metaverse. So that is, you know, in some ways, a positive thing that a lot of lawmakers are starting to realize that they need to understand what the future of the internet looks like. Uh, but definitely, you yeah. know, uncertainty, potential regulation.
2: I hear you. It's a fast moving space. Kathy, thanks for lending your expertise. Kathy Hackel. Still on deck, energy stocks are about to cap off their best year on record going back to 1989. We speak with one top ranked analyst on if the rally can continue into 2022 and the names that you must buy.
0: Today's
1: big number, $337 billion. That's how big Morgan Stanley expects the NFT market to reach by 2030.
3: at least that's good the UPS store be unstoppable most locations are independently owned product services pricing and hours of operation may vary see center for details come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time
6: this podcast is supported by FedEx dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do
2: Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip.
8: Hi, Seema. Good morning. Uh, We start with breaking news. Five people are dead, including a suspect in what Colorado officials are calling a killing spree. It all started in Denver. Three people were shot and killed across multiple locations. Denver police say the suspect disabled one of their cars before driving into nearby Lakewood and causing more chaos. Another victim was killed there in Lakewood. A police officer was shot and needed surgery. The suspect also died, but it's unclear if he was killed by police. A massive investigation is underway. Western states are getting walloped by winter weather. The Sierra Mountains in California facing whiteout conditions as snowfall shatters December records. The area has seen several feet so far, burying houses and shutting down the interstate. And in Washington state, people there are prepping for an unusual cold snap. Across the U.S., 25 million Americans are under winter weather alerts as the cold makes its way from coast to coast. Next week, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals will hear the Texas abortion case. Earlier this month, the Supreme Court refused to block Texas law SB 8, but did allow providers to proceed with a legal challenge in federal appeals court. Oral arguments will be held on January 7th in New Orleans. The controversial law bans the termination of pregnancy at around week six, before many women even know they're pregnant. It also allows private citizens to sue anyone providing or facilitating an abortion. Since the law took effect on September 1st, thousands of Texans have been denied access to abortion care. Finally, how about jumping a tax bracket before the year's out? There were no winning lottery tickets sold for last night's Powerball drawing. That means tomorrow night's estimated jackpot will balloon to $441 million. That is the third largest total of the year. Those are the headlines on this last Tuesday of 2021. Seema, time to get a ticket. To you.
2: Philip, thank you. Philip Maynard for the latest mm-hmm. in New York. Straight ahead, the Omicron surge not dissuading one of Wall Street's biggest banks from its return to office plans. We will be right back. As stocks try to keep the Santa Rally alive, we dig into one sector that's about to cap off its best year on record and the stocks that Barclays says are a must-buy in 2022. Plus, a worldwide exchange exclusive with CalSTRS chief investment officer Christopher Ailman. His take on ESG, global equities and top risks for stocks ahead. And later, frontline backlash against the CDC's new guidance when it comes to quarantines and mask wearing. It is Tuesday, December 28th, 2021. And you're watching World Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi and for Brian Sullivan. Here's a look at futures. Halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in New York, and it's green across the screen. Dow Jones up 88 points, Nasdaq higher by 84, so suggesting that this market rally will continue. Investors betting big on a Santa rally, the one session down and six to go. We are already off to a good start, with S&P jumping 1.4 percent yesterday. It's best day one of the Santa rally since 2000, when the S&P 500 gained 5.7 percent during that period. The S&P is set In its 69th record closing high of the year led by shares of apple the stock edging closer to that three trillion dollar valuation watch outside of stocks we continue to watch well outside of markets broader markets we are watching the action in airlines this morning, higher, mostly with the exception of Delta, Southwest and American Air, despite some cancellations around the country. That, of course, continuing. According to FlightAware, airlines have canceled more than 660 flights into, out of, or within the U.S. today alone. This after being forced to cancel nearly 3,000 flights since Sunday. Back to stocks in this week's slate of can't-miss interviews right here on Worldwide Exchange. Our own Brian Sullivan caught up with one of pension fund managers who's been outspoken in terms of ESG investing in 2021, a theme he is likely to continue to prioritize in the year ahead.
1: We are very pleased to be wrapping up the year with one of our favorite and really most important guests, and that is Christopher Ailman. He is the chief investment officer of Calsters. They have $320 billion dollars under management as we head into the new year and chris we have appreciated your wisdom and your insight on investing and everything else thank you for joining us once again here on worldwide exchange
9: oh brian it's always a pleasure i really appreciate it thank you
1: all right thank you nice that he's done let's get right to it you managed 320 billion about eh, just under 50 percent of that is public equities you got fixed income real estate private equity etc do you have a super macro view for what we might expect in 2022. And are you, uh, I guess you can't foresee any surprises, thus they wouldn't be surprised, but are there things that you are
9: worried about next year? (laughs) Yes, a million things I'm worried about. And I do actually foresee some surprises. Uh, Nobody, everybody's talking about Omicron right now, but there's another virus that's out there, but a digital virus, Uh, Log4J, I believe is its technical name. Hopefully, this is just something that will come and go in the uh, internet world. Uh, but it's starting to pop up all over the place as a serious uh, malware problem uh, because we've forgotten about the internet. We all rely on it totally, yet uh, it is susceptible to viruses, too. So we'll see. And I worry, you know, obviously it's tough to forecast 2022, except because you have the Omicron virus, except you've got the central banks pushing money out. And even though our Fed is, is backing off the gas pedal, they still are pumping the money and they're still very accommodative. So we're constructive on equities around the mm-hmm. world, but you're gonna get more volatility for sure.
1: You know, it's interesting because Scott Minard of Guggenheim, I'm sure you know him, he also thinks cybersecurity may be the greatest threat to the markets, not Omicron, not the next variant, not whatever it is. So you guys out in California, certainly tech-focused, on that, Let's hope that uh, that, that not, does not become a thing. Okay, so you're, you're pretty optimistic on, on equities. That's what most of our audience trades. I notice you have sold some stock in Apple and Microsoft. Is that because you just have to make adjustments to their size weighted sort of weighting in your portfolio? Or is it that you simply don't like them as much as you used to?
9: No, uh, your first answer, Brian, you know, we're very indexed, so so we tend to, as a big, giant fund, we tend to be passive and actually hold an entire market for a country as a single block and then rebalance. Uh, And Apple and Microsoft were, you know, part of the tech, big winners. So as you rebalance, when you get to year end and readjust that index, you become, thankfully, a seller of some of those huge gains and rebalance into mid-caps and small-caps. But we basically hold the USA passively. Non US, we're a little more active, uh, but even there, we're going to hold the whole world uh, in market cap order. And adding
1: a little snowflake, is that, again, single stock specific or is that more of a cloud play overall?
9: No, single stock specific. uh, We're just too big and too diversified to get down into individual trades. Um, While obviously CNBC loves traders and trading. We're investors, so we're going to hold for a five-year period or even a 10- and a 20-year period. So those adjustments are just around the fringe of that core holding portfolio.
1: You know, and you mentioned around the world, Chris, nobody cares what I think, but one of my predictions, which are rolling out this week, is that Japan is likely to see an equity boom. I just think there's a lot going in favor of the Japanese equity market historically. What parts of the world do you find most interesting right now?
9: Well, Brian, when you and I talked a year ago, I probably said the emerging markets because they were cheap. And you know what? They're still cheap. Um, I, I think the rest of the world uh, is going to provide opportunities. Non-US stocks have, again this year, trailed the US because of the tech and in in our Federal Reserve. You could be right about Japan. Um, you know They've been challenged for so many decades to try and get their economy to grow. They've got demographics working against them and negative interest rates. This might be their year. Uh, I'm not going to pick individual regions of the country, of the world, pardon me, just because it is just so tough. They're also central bank dependent, uh, yet they're intertied with how things go. And Japan could easily get swept up in this U.S.-China um, constant give and take and fight back and forth. Um, they should do well, but uh, I think the market's going to be challenging and non-U.S., because I think the real megatrend beyond the viruses is going to be climate change. And that's where the, yeah. the world's going to be really challenged.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting about climate change as well is the markets that it is creating. Specifically, I've been doing a lot of trying to understand and de- digging into the, the carbon market, pricing of carbon, carbon credits. You've been investing in that market. Tell us why and, and how the best way for you to invest in a market which is still... Sort of difficult to understand for uh, a certain beloved financial news anchors that you might be speaking with right now.
9: I might be, (laughs) you know, they are difficult for people to understand and follow, but I think they're absolutely critical to help us solve climate change. Now, that's a bit controversial to those who are absolute zealots on climate change. But you know the, the reality is if you want a smooth transition, you don't want to destroy certain countries, destroy certain regions, the USA or industries, you've got to have somewhat of a smooth transition and therefore you need a carbon market where somebody who is burning carbon and finding carbon can offset their carbon footprint by buying credits from somebody else who might own a wind farm or a tree farm who is getting rid of carbon or storing carbon. That's the economic solution, I think, just like a carbon tax. I'm not a big regulator, yeah. I'm a fan of regulations, but I think you need those incentives to push this system forward and make people realize, I've said it before, Brian, you pay a fee to dispose of your wastewater, you pay a fee to dispose of your physical garbage waste, we need to start paying a fee to dispose of our gaseous waste that we all create. Um, It's not free. It doesn't just go in the atmosphere and go away. There's a price to it, and that's the carbon market is setting that price to what it costs to burn and use carbon to generate electricity, um, uh, power plants and all kinds of uh, different systems.
1: Managing the goals of the transition in a rational sense. I think Europe is learning, Chris, the, uh, the hard way, maybe if not thinking through some of these things. We always appreciate your hard thinking. You've got a big job. Uh, 2022, constructive on equities overall. Chris, we really appreciate your views. As always, have a happy new year. Here's to a great 2022 for you and all the employees and all the, all the pension holders of CalSTRS.
9: As I said last year, Brian, let's hope in the future, next year, we're doing this in person. We will. Chris, thank you very much. Be well.
2: And our thanks to Brian Sullivan and Christopher Ailman. Be sure to catch Cities Ed Morse tomorrow right here on Worldwide Exchange. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories and send it back to Sylvana Hanau Silvana, what's up?
3: Hey, All right. So Goldman Sachs is standing by its return to office timeline despite the nationwide surge in new cases. And to aid in the return, starting in January, all bank employees will be tested twice a week for COVID-19. And starting in February, it is requiring that all employees and visitors to its U.S. offices receive COVID-19 booster shots. Over the last seven days, the average number of new cases in the U.S. have surged 55 percent to over 205,000 new infections per day. That's according to Reuters. We're watching shares of Didi after the Chinese ride-hailing giant hit another record low yesterday, the same day its IPO lockup period expired, allowing some early investors and insiders to sell or exit their stakes in the company, likely at a loss. The stock is now 62% below its June 29th IPO price. And Riot Games, a division of Chinese tech giant Tencent and publisher of the popular game League of Legends, has agreed to pay $100 million to settle a 2018 gender discrimination lawsuit with California regulators and more than 2,000 current and former female employees. Under the agreement, Riot must also set aside. $18 million over the next three years to fund diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Seema.
2: Silvana, thanks. Sure. Turning our attention to the coronavirus pandemic, the CDC now says those who tested positive and are asymptomatic can shorten their isolation period from 10 days to five days, followed by five days of wearing a mask around others. The new guidance also says that a person who is a close contact who has received a COVID booster shot will not have to quarantine at all. However, people who have only received two shots now fall into the same camp as those who are not vaccinated and have to quarantine for five days after exposure. The suggestion comes closely after the CDC's issued similar recommendation for health care workers, which shortened guidelines for quarantine periods to five days if they are asymptomatic. This as case counts continue to hit records in states across the country. New York City also seeing hospitalizations cross 5,500 for the first time since February. Hospitalization rates for children are also up, with over 100 children admitted to the hospital for COVID reasons, largely unvaccinated. That is up dramatically from the beginning of the month. Joining us now to discuss is Dr. Bruce Lee, professor of health policy and management at the City University of New York School of Public Health. And Dr. Lee, we appreciate you joining us. Listen, to the CDC's new guidance, the shortened isolation period, it's drawing a lot of a lot of criticism. I'm curious where you stand on the CDC's guidance. Will it help or hurt our fight against COVID?
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Seema. So the concern is that um, while some people may uh, not be infectious beyond five days, uh, it's, there's actually some uncertainty. There have been studies that have shown that some people may be infectious beyond that uh, 10 days. There's, there are even case studies of people being infectious beyond that. So while this may uh, fit uh, many, many cases, the concern is that this might be a bit short-sighted and allowing people to go uh, return to work and mix while they potentially may be still infectious is of concern, uh, plus, you know, the, having people wear face masks for five days afterwards, there's questions, will they wear that properly? Will they really prevent themselves uh, from spreading the virus? Yeah. So there is some concern about that.
2: Yeah, the hope is that this new guidance will alleviate some of the staffing shortages. But to your point, a lot of it's now on, at the discretion of, of the person who is infected with COVID. So overall, do you think this actually leads to even higher cases? Will this backfire and lead to even more hospitalizations?
0: That's the concern. So the concern is it could lead to more hospitalizations. So uh, people may be spreading the uh, transmitting the virus at work, and also it's it's the intent is to alleviate staffing shortages in many cases uh, with healthcare personnel. But healthcare personnel are also exhausted right now and tired. So if you're sending people back, uh, trying to send people back too quickly, uh, that certainly may backfire.
2: What's your read on why more children um, are who are testing positive for COVID are getting hospitalized? Is it simply because they're unvaccinated or is it something else?
0: Yeah, that's one of the big issues that uh, when you look at the percentage of people who've been vaccinated, certainly children, especially between five years and 11 years are lagging because naturally the authorization came later and uh, then for adults. Plus, there there's still a significant uh, vaccine hesitancy among uh, certain parents. Uh, so we don't have children covered as much uh, plus, this this virus is, is seems to be more transmissible and and more contagious. So, it is spreading uh, quicker and faster than previous uh, variants. And we know that children, in many cases, especially when they go to school, uh, can be super spreaders because they contact a lot of different people. Uh, they interact with each other, um, and they probably aren't as good at social distancing and and uh, maintaining precautions.
2: Biggest piece of advice for those who uh, are worried about this new guidance and trying to figure out how to conduct their daily lives?
0: Well, the guidance is, is, is simply guidance. So there is, it's not strictly enforceable in, in every location and for every employer. So uh, I would suggest being uh, more conservative because you have to keep in mind that it only takes one or two uh, infectious cases to really cause an outbreak. So if you're an employer, you want to be careful because you have to look at the longer run, the bigger picture. If you suffer an outbreak, then that can actually set things back rather than uh, move things forward. So I would be more conservative about isolation and quarantine uh, guidelines. Again, these are guidances. They're not uh, strictly enforceable. So you want to be careful about your own situation.
2: Yeah, you raise a great point. Watching how the companies respond to this new guidance in the CDC will be very interesting. Dr. Bruce Lee, thanks for joining us today.
0: Thanks for having me, Sima. And
2: all things COVID. Coming up, we take a closer look at the top-performing S&P sector of 2021 and see which stocks can keep the rally going in 2021 and beyond. We have Barclay's Janine Way is here when Worldwide Exchange returns. It has been a banner year for nearly every corner of the market and none more so than the energy sector. It is the top-performing sector in the S&P up nearly, get this, 50 percent, mirroring the rise in oil prices. With just four days to go in the year, the energy sector is on pace for its best year on record, going back to its inception in 1989. Let's talk more about what the new year may hold for energy and oil prices. Janine Way, U.S. oil and gas exploration analyst at Barclays. Janine, great to have you on. Uh, You know, energy was not expected to be the top performing sector when we started this year. Why do you think it's rallied so much and can it continue?
5: We think it's rallied a lot for a couple of reasons. Seema, thank you so much for having Barclays on. Um, we do think that there's healthy upside from here with the stocks. It really comes back to the fact that we're transitioning to phase two of energy's show me story. And in phase two, that means that we're establishing very attractive Cash payout yields to investors and establishing cash payout yields to investors, that means that investors can start capitalizing future dividends, future special dividends, future buybacks into valuations to cause the stocks go higher. Um, these payouts, they really will lead to um, solid sponsorship in the sector, which we think is what is lacking right now in the stocks. In terms of how much it can go, um, if you look on a valuation perspective, our stocks, they're discounting still 18 to 21%. Uh, disconnect from where the commodity is right now. So we think there's a fair amount of upside from here.
2: That's interesting. I mean, oil went from $45 to now 76 for WTI crude. You expect prices to go up even more. And what's also striking to me is every part of the energy trade really worked this year. The drillers, the refiners, the producers. Uh, which part of the energy market do you like best going into 2022?
5: Well, we cover the upstream producers. And again, we think there's pretty good upside from there. Um, It all goes back to the show me story again for energy. Phase one is essentially complete, solid free cash flow and having good cash return frameworks. That's now table stakes for large caps, which is very attractive for investors. Um, We think going forward, the payout yields are going to matter more. And that makes a lot of sense, uh, given that we could be in for a bumpy Q122 on the macro. And now, given all the free cash flow in the sector for upstream, investors are now being paid very handsomely to sit in these stocks and ride out the volatility. It looks like your top pick is Hess. Is that right? Um, No, we've we've got a lot of names that we like overweight in terms of having payouts. uh, We're overweight on Pioneer, Marathon, as well as Devon.
2: Got it. And back to some of the other macro headwinds that can always, you know, sort of shift the narrative around energy. OPEC, we saw one production cut. Are we expecting more in 2022?
5: Uh, we'll have to see. Our oil strategist, Amar Singh, he's pretty positive on the oil market in 2022. And that would hinge on OPEC plus maintaining discipline and showing good disciplined behavior, which we think will continue.
2: The supply chain issues didn't really stop the oil rally. If anything, it pushed oil even higher, right? Because then it brought up questions around the supply demand equation. Um, do you see shortages becoming an issue in 2022? Have those supply chain, Has the supply chain congestion eased in recent weeks, as many retailers are saying it has?
5: Well, we haven't really seen the supply chain issues show up that much right now in upstream. What we do think will be a meaningful headwind in 2022 is inflation. And arguably that could be tied to supply chain. But on inflation, we think investors are really holding their breath on that. It's running rampant in every sector you look at in the S&P. Um, most investors think that inflation in upstream will exceed the 10 to 15 percent that our companies have been talking about on the latest earnings calls. However, in our opinion, um, even though inflation concerns may be very real, the sector and the companies, they're all very committed to capital discipline. And because they're committed to that, we don't think that the companies are going to chase growth at the expense of returns. And that should still be a very positive feedback loop for the sector
2: really interesting and oil and wti and brent both trading higher by a percent right now janine thanks for joining us janine way of barclays thanks Ema. as we had to break check out shares of apple as the company is forced to shut down 11 stores across new york city due to surging COVID cases no reopening date yet announced but they will be reopened or will open for online order pickups. Apple also closing in on a $3 trillion valuation. The price to watch there is $182.86, currently trading at 181. If you haven't already followed our podcast, please do so if you miss Worldwide Exchange. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And a quick programming note, don't miss my exclusive interview with Booking Holdings CEO, Glenn Fogel. He will talk to us about Omicron, travel, flight cancellations, bookings, and more that's coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. Worldwide Exchange, we're back after this. Welcome back. From the infrastructure bill to rising inflation, it's been a choppy year for the materials sector. For a look at 2021's winners and losers, Christina Parsinevelis joining us with this month's
10: Sectornomics. Hi, Christina. Hello. So, like you said, the material sector has been a relative laggard on a year-to-date basis. With one of the ETFs that tracks the sector, ticker XLB, up just over 20% in 2021, Well, you can see the broader S&P is up more than 25 percent as we head into those final sessions of the year. So you've got a mix of names that have dragged the sector lower, including many of the paper and packaging names like Westrock, International Paper and Packaging Corporation of America. We're also seeing underperformance in glass and canning manufacturer Ball Corporation and agricultural chemistry giant FMC. And for investors potentially looking for an opportunity in materials, all five of these names are actually trading at a discount to their mean analyst price targets, according to FactSet. But from a stock performance perspective, it hasn't been all bad news. There are some notable outperformers in the sector this year. As we've seen, the prices for metals like copper and aluminum soar. We've also seen metal and mining names like Newcourt and Freeport Post, Posting some, I should say Freeport, posting some strong gains. And of course, the fertilizer players, because fertilizer is through the roof, like CF Industries and Mosaic, also among the leaders. Those companies have seen the prices of raw materials jump as well. And then you've got Albemarle, uh, a big player in the lithium batteries needed for electric vehicle revolution that has had a very strong year, up more than 50%. And see me, we've got inflation and raw material costs that are a big part of the sector uh, in 2021. And of course, we're talking about it across the board, but we will. And I promise this in about 40 minutes, we'll take a deeper dive into some more names. And that's coming up on Squawk Box. Back over to you.
2: Looking forward to it, Christina. Thanks. Thanks. Let's bring in someone who's been on the buying end of some of those cyclical names. John Stolfes, Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, it's great to have you on. There's always this play, right? Defensive growth versus cyclicals. And one would say if you're bullish on the market, you're bullish on the U.S. economy, continuing to do well, even in an environment where rates are going up. So where would you be putting your money to work within those three areas?
11: Uh, We're going to stick with cyclicals here. Uh, Cyclicals over defensive. So... Uh, We want to overweight the cyclicals. We also want to own information technology. Favorite sectors continue to be uh, information technology, consumer discretionary, financials and industrials, uh, tech, uh, financials uh, and uh, uh, the, uh, the consumer discretionary happen to be in the top five this year with the top two sectors, of course, energy and real estate, which are relatively small sectors. With a better economy, we want to be sure to own technology, which is deeply embedded in the lives of both companies as well as uh, in in the lives of the consumer. And uh, we're we're going to want to own uh, consumer uh, discretionary because you don't want to bet against the American consumer.
2: John, let's size up the opportunity within technology because you have the S&P 500 technology sector back above 3,000. We're on $3 trillion watch for Apple as it trades right around the $181 mark. The Nasdaq is now less than 2% away from hitting a record high. When, at what point, does valuation become somewhat of a concern for you?
11: Well, we think within the technology arena, what we want to do is go with those big companies, the core companies, the, one that do, the ones that, do, uh, uh, that are involved in our daily lives, both in business as well as consumers. We're looking for the best uh, of the lot for conservative investors, those that pay dividends, we would think, uh, and, and have good, strong cash flow and an opportunity through their innovation to keep moving forward and ahead. We don't think technology is anywhere near hitting a plateau as it did during the tech bubble years ago, which we remember quite well. Having been in this business for over 38 years, can't believe it.
2: And there are, you know, it's interesting because there are sort of different, sometimes overlapping explanations as to why certain parts of this market can continue to outperform, defy odds, and really work through some of the big concerns around inflation and the supply chain shortages. Uh, Do you think inflation becomes something that you will pay a bit more attention to in 2022?
9: Oh, we
11: most certainly think so. We're already paying plenty of attention to it because it has been uh, much worse and it has also been stickier than we had expected. Uh, we think some of that is due to the uh, supply chain disruption, of course, uh, the fact that we've had uh, a, it, it, it sort of a, a jump forward, then a couple of steps backward in terms of some reopenings within the economy. Uh, overstimulation, we think, uh, by uh, from the congressional side, uh of the uh, of the aisle so to speak but we do think the fed is doing the right job and the fed has been extraordinarily sensitive mm-hmm. to both growth as well as lack of growth ever since uh the the uh the financial crisis uh, we call it the bernanke legacy and right. we think jerome powell believes in that
2: yeah and it's so far worked for the market john we appreciate you joining us and lending your expertise on this market with a couple days left in 2021. John Stolpis of Oppenheimer. We'll take a quick look at futures pointing to a higher open. I'm Sima Modi. Thank you for joining me here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is next.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.